Good morning. Is this thing on? Okay. Test. All right, how many have ever heard the, the Roadhog album by the Statler Brothers, Road, Road, Roadhog Moran and the Cadillac Cowboys? Evidently for about two years, the Statler Brothers were not allowed to sing because they had done this, this little send-up of old-time country radio shows uh, from the Johnny Mac Brown High School in some, somewhere in Alabama. And it was the funniest thing you ever heard. And their audiences would not let them sing. They wanted them to do the Roadhog thing. So one of the central uh, funnies in this thing was that he'd hit the microphone. Test. Test. Are we on? And all this is on, on air, of course. So anyway, that was where that came from. The Costellos know, know that album extremely well. Okay. Well, we are we're at the point of wrapping up this sort of preliminary flyover of God's principles in the in the law for for justice, for all justice. Uh, and all justice is, in essence, as we said, all justice is righteousness, and righteousness is always, is always just. They're the flip sides of the same coin. They're actually the same word in both Hebrew and Greek uh, as they're translated in Scripture. Uh, so what we've been trying to do is to, in as broad a way as possible, to try to determine what those various principles are. And, of course, we know from Scripture, and this was where we started, and we started this as a, an outgrowth of what we had encountered in Isaiah, that every Scripture is inspired of God and is profitable for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be thoroughly furnished to every good work. So we're talking about the works of righteousness, which are also, in effect, the works of justice. And I, I read an incredible quote, and I won't, I won't be quoting it exactly, but I'll be getting very close to it read an incredible quote this week. Sound bites are, I think, important to all of us. We unfortunately now live in a sound-bited culture, and it, and it is good to have things that, that, you know, like the old aphorisms, you know, a penny saved is a pity earned, or, or what have you. And um, this one said, in essence, in making sort of this argument that we have godly principles that, that furnish us everything, necessary for life and godliness. And it said if, let me, let me make sure I'm getting this right, if chaos and tragedy occur from breaking the, the in effect, the, the civil law, the, the man-made laws, 
what will we expect to happen if we are breaking the cosmic laws? It's essentially words to that effect. And we've talked a little bit about Israel's purpose. Actually, we've talked a lot about Israel's purpose. Uh, as God established Israel to be, in effect, an evangelist for the world. An evangelist of how, how a society would, would be structured. But what was the central component Central component, when Jesus is asked, what's the most important, what's the most important thing? Is that if you do not recognize where the standard resides, and if you don't trust the standard giver, and that's really at the end of the day, that's what the issue is. Do we really trust that things will turn out well? Because God says things will turn out well if you do these things. Now, is that a health, wealth, and prosperity kind of statement? No. But things will turn out well in the cosmic order, and frankly, most often in the personal order, if we recognize that God is good all the time and that He is love. And I know that when I forget that personally, and I forget it a lot in terms of trust, I get afraid. Some of you know. I mean, I lost my career that I had had for 26 years. There are days that I get very afraid. The horizon is extremely murky. And I am learning, again, to trust God. And it, it, it was, if it was easy, everybody would do it. It's kind of like that same statement that I always made to my children about, about sin. If it, if it wasn't temporarily pleasant, why would anybody do it? And it's the same thing. So, do we trust, do we really trust that God has not only our best interests at heart, but society's best interests at heart? So that's thing one. Thing two is, if we do, then we cannot help but love our neighbor. Because there are implications for believing that God is God and we are not and that God is love, and that He is good all the time. There are implications in that. But the one, that they're not, they cannot be reversed. We cannot try either inside the church, and we all have experience with this, or in society at large, we cannot try to bring in the kingdom of God through legalism, in effect. We can't do it. We can't do it in the church, and we can't do it in secular society. Can't happen. And God promised that if we would seek Him and His ways, if we would try to abide in that, 
And God knows that we're dust. He knows that we are frail. What, uh, what's that beautiful song? Uh, frail children of dust and feeble is frail. In thee do we trust, nor find thee to fail. So the point is, will we, will we believe it? Will we believe it? And then in understanding the kindness of God, will we demonstrate it and will we speak it? And see, if we start with the goodness of God and the grace of God in all of this, then our speaking can't be, can't be hateful. Now, can it be perceived as hateful? Yes. And can we do a lousy job of phrasing things, saying things, whatever? So again, for us in this, in this process of trying to live out justice among ourselves and understanding why. We have the same purpose as Israel. We have the same purpose as Israel. We are to be a light to the nations. In Isaiah, it says all nations will flow unto this new order that this righteous king will establish. So it is, it is attractive even as it's repelling in some, sense, in some senses. The Scripture says that. So the point is that first and foremost, do we, do we believe God? That's our challenge to each other. That's what we need to be asking each other in a fellowship. We need to be con constantly asking, not in an accusatory, challenging sense. Taz, do you believe God? It's this encouraging way. Are you leaning into this thing? Are you walking in the light? Because if we are, we know that. We know that. We have promises that we will receive blessing and be a blessing. On the flip side, we know that to the extent that we ignore it, to the extent that we don't trust what, what is brought about. In Deuteronomy, there are blessings and there are curses. And I used to read that in the sense of an active hand of God cursing people. God doesn't have to do anything active in that. He may choose to for demonstration purposes. But God doesn't have to lift a finger in that process. We curse ourselves. God created a cosmic order that is meant to work a certain way. People are meant to work a certain way. We are created as images of God. Everybody. Not just Christians. Everybody is created as an image of God. As an image bearer of God, we have both an incredible level of inherent dignity, but we also have an incredible level of inherent responsibility. 
Be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth, which we said over and over and over again, is the expansion of the kingdom of God, is what that concept centrally means. It meant it when God said it in Genesis. Be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. The thing for us is to constantly be encouraging each other, what? To love and good works? That's the exact order in the Scripture, right? Love is there first because I cannot love you like you need to be loved. We cannot love our neighbor who does not know God without ourselves knowing God. We cannot love them the way they need to be loved. Does that make sense? That's the kind of thing that we need to be talking about. Now, what does that look like? What what does the Christian community look like as it's living that out? We create opportunities to tell people good news. Israel was to create opportunities to tell people good news because the nations were supposed to see what was happening and say, I want me some of that. We just finished talking about immigration. That was the the concept of voluntary unforced immigration between cultures was not a normal thing. There were situational episodes where there were mass migrations and all sorts of things. But generally, because of the clan and family-based nature of those cultures, and really, we live in kind of a clan and family-based human nature as well, whatever whatever our acknowledged group is. The point is that Folks didn't just pick up and move. It was not, the world was not an opportunity culture. You went if you had to. You went if you were forced to. So nations were to, were to flow to Israel from the very beginning. I think Deuteronomy 4, 5 through 9 is essentially the same thing that Isaiah is saying in, in, in the first couple of chapters talking about the nations flowing. So what does it look like for us to live out that justice? That's what what I'm wanting us to think about this morning. The principles that we've talked about, that we've identified in the law, what what do they look like? Principle number one was God is to be honored. God deserves gratitude at all times. That's what this is supposed to be about. That's what Sunday morning... For, uh, of, of all times is supposed to be about. A time of gratitude. Behind that board is the central means of our grace. That we are to be honoring God. He is the reason. He is the feast master. As a result, naturally, necessarily, we recognize our place in the cosmos. It is an honored place. It is an incredibly responsible place. 
but it isn't his place. And that's where the whole train jumped the track was when I try to take over. I try to take over all the time. I am, for the first time probably in my life, I am consciously praying about that. Because I am so out of control at this point. See, that's the problem is we do that kind of praying when we're in the kind of situation. And so that's part of what we need to be encouraging each other in. You're always in that situation. God is always God and you are always not. You're humble before Him. You're Isaiah who's cowering down and then God says something and He, and he, and he jumps up and says, here I am. I think there may be a reason I'm having this vision. We know that all human societies, all human societies for all time, we know this from Isaiah. We know it from a lot of other, a lot of other scripture. But all human society for all time will always be held accountable to God's law. And only to the degree that our laws look like His can we in a societal sense, be, be pleasing in any way. And the point is that when we, when we take over at any point, we can say, I'll let God do this and I'm going to do that. I'll handle this part. God can handle this part. I want God to be my cosmic backstop, but I want to be out front leading this charge. Do you do that? I, I do that. So God's will, and this is both Old Testament and New Testament, because remember, Jesus is only Savior because He is the perfect law keeper, the perfect humble man, the perfect God honorer. There was not one thing that he defied the Father in. So, he's listening. What does God say about this? What are these principles? So now we get into the social principles are what? First and foremost, how can we look like we're supposed to look to the culture? The family is central to God's economy. The family is the first government on earth. Okay? The family is the central government on earth. Because societies don't operate unless families are healthy. Doesn't happen. So, what can we do as a church... You know, now we're starting to get into practical stuff. You know that the greatest thing we can do as a church is be good families. That sounds trite, doesn't it? That isn't trite at all. It is stay married even when it's hard, but, but be working so it's not hard, which is serving one another, right? 
It's reciprocal responsibility, reciprocal relationship. It's recognizing the orders that God establishes. The best possible thing we can do, first and foremost, is to have intact families. If a, if a particular body of Christ has multiple generations, this should be our goal. This should be an aspect of what we're encouraging each other in is we should have a goal that five generations from now there will not be an identified divorce, family breakup, anything like that. Can you imagine the testimony of that? Then what's secondary to that? It's raising children in what? The nurture and admonition of God. Those are old terms. We don't use those terms. Admonition. What is admonition? It's these principles. You walk and talk about them during the day. When you rise up, when you sit down, you are, just, you are relating the things that you see back to, back to this. That's something else that we encourage each other in. I mean, this has to be intentional. But the intentionality in our hearts will only come through surrender and through prayer. Because we can't create it. It's just like we can't create love for neighbors without loving God. We won't create the intentionality to encourage each other in all these things, to live in each other's lives in the best possible sense of that term. To learn from each other. When we see somebody doing something, ah, man, that is great the way they handled that situation with their child. How are they teaching their children? And then, again, corollary to this whole issue of the family being central to God's society is our sexuality needs to be in bounds. And that is as we're aware, is not just our actual actions, it's even our thought language. Are we helping each other in that area? And again, always, the first place we've got to point is above, because God is the one that grants that help. Our fallen human nature evidently The, the central almost, certainly first and foremost seemingly indication of where our attitude towards God is, is how our sexuality is. Would that be a fair statement? When I am, we are flawed and fallen. That is, unfortunately, the human condition. Scripture attests to that. God gives these principles in overt form in the law, but 
the principles existed prior to the law. The law was the, you know, sort of the writing down of something that in many ways was recognized. Now, there were some, there were some aspects of it that were designed specifically to put it into, you know, greater... Uh, word I would say is relief, but, but sort of the, the idea of it shows up better than the stuff around it. That's, the, that's those principles of, of sanctification that were in the law that are now embodied in different ways. Circumcision was always supposed to represent something that was happening in the heart. And the prophet said, it is, going to rep- it is going to be that in the fulfillment of the kingdom of God. Right? But I am always, as a human being, I am drawn toward lusts of various types. Paul talked about it. But we all know. I mean, it isn't hard to figure out. Again, when hamburger commercials are sold on the base, you know, or hamburgers are sold on the basis of sexuality, then can we argue with the point? So, our sexuality is to be properly located. And because we're flawed, there are people with drives that are disordered. And that is not just homosexuality. That is hyper-heterosexuality. That's being in rutting mode all the time. So So the point is... How do we we escape that? I think the only way we escape is through exchange. I can't tell somebody, just stop. I have to tell them, you have to tell me. By what means do I stop? Because I may resist for, if if I'm operating in my own strength, I may resist for a few weeks, a few months, even a few years, and then all of a sudden something trigger. And how many episodes do we have of ministries destroyed through that kind of thing? Satan is always looking for a hole. So what, what, do, we, what do we do? We have to submit to God. God can and does. And again, this goes back to, do I really believe this stuff? Do I really believe that God changes hearts? Do I really believe that the Holy Spirit can control my thoughts and actions? I I confess, I don't believe that any human being fully believes that. But I have great examples of people who believe it more than others. One of them usually sits on the row where, a couple of them sit on the row where David and Linda are this morning. That they have replaced those natural desires with God's desires. That's the bottom, that's the bottom line. And there's where we suffer with people. We have to suffer with each other. We are, we are 
subject to these passions. If we all put on the mask and, and, and you know, try to act like we're not, then we're foolish. And it's dangerous to us. It's dangerous to each other. Because it discourages somebody when they think that so-and-so is perfect. That's discouraging. Being confessional as a body is incredibly important to being healthy in all of this. Again, corollary to this is life we recognize is a gift from God. It's a gift from God. And we need to think about life that way. It is a gift of God. It is meant for something. For us, it's meant for something. Something beyond us. Most of us, I confess to this, in our own marriage, our desire for children was largely based on our own egos. I will feel fulfilled if I have whatever, the, the, the perfect family, whatever that number is, the proper ratio of males and females, the, you know, whatever it is. But a lot of times, I think largely in our culture, it is, and in probably every culture, it is, this is what is good for me, not what is good for the world. Because again, we are to be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and fill the earth with what? The goodness and mercy and grace of God. In these principles that people can see us living out in the happiness that we are displaying in that because that flows from gratitude. And there again is why it has to be here before it's here, right? I won't, I won't have gratitude about it if I'm, mm, this is the ball I'm pushing up the hill. It's not, it's not going to happen. We know that the things that God has given us in trust, the property that He has entrusted to us, is to be respected and is not to be envied. We've said... And it is true. God doesn't care about inequality except when it occurs through inequity. Inequity. Unfairness. And that's not a cosmic thing. That is a legal thing. God gives different gifts. I am not to worry myself over the fact that my gifts are different from, from yours, that you are better at something than me, that you have more than me in terms of material stuff. And when the, our community sees us living that way, that's a teaching moment. It's also something that we should talk about, something that we should live out 
in terms of how we view what it is that God has entrusted us with. What are we, what are we doing with it? How do we feel about it? Those sorts of things. So you, we can't allow in the church envy or categorical resentment to have a place. If it has a place, it'll destroy us. If it has a place in society, it will destroy it. And that's a second marker. If everything is based on envy, so I'm using sex to sell hamburgers, but I'm also using envy to sell stuff. And it's, and it's not wrong, in my opinion, for people in the creativity God has given them to invent wonderful new things. And it is not wrong to tell people about those wonderful new things. The question is, what context is that put in? We talked about also economic dealings not be manipulated. The fact is that it is virtually impossible, I'll say it again, it is virtually impossible to have a consumeristic society without rampant credit. I'm saying a society steeped in it. It was a different deal when you had to put stuff on layaway. It was a different deal when there weren't commercials that were run all day long and all evening long every day about stuff that you had to finance. And we got farther down in the weeds than you guys had wished as we talked about how that happens. But the point is that it does. Is something wrong in our society. We may not be able to overcome it. We should, in my opinion, talk about it because it is a neighbor love thing to tell our neighbors when they are about to walk off a cliff because we can't suspend the cosmic laws. We can't suspend them. They don't get parked over on the side just because this is what I like. So whether I've got a neighbor walking off the cliff in terms of, in terms of you know, some sexual sin, whether I've got a neighbor walking off the cliff in terms of an economic sin, whatever, I do have, at some level, an obligation out of love to warn them. How that happens is something that we can encourage and, and help each other to think about. Those, these are not easy things. These are not easy things to talk about. It's hard to frame the argument before somebody's eyes glaze over sometimes, right? We have to always be truthful. Let our yes be yes and our no be no. A deal isn't just a deal. A deal is a cosmic revelation in terms of what we do with it. Do we make just deals? <laughs> do we keep them even when 
it backfires on us. One of the greatest things, probably, in terms of testimony and witness to a community would be a Christian not taking bankruptcy in order to escape creditors. When they've been sinful in making, even if they didn't realize it, because we're responsible. In in Isaiah, it essentially says, "You, you blind people follow blind guides. So I'm responsible even for things that I haven't, I haven't cared about learning, that I haven't cared about thinking about. So wouldn't it be an incredible testimony for a Christian not to take bankruptcy when, when the thing blows up and to make restitution? Or for a church to come together and say, we are doing this, we are helping our brother or sister who has done this, they have repented of this sin, we're helping them to make it right. And now they're walking a different path. Wow. What an incredible testimony. And, and the point there is that all of this stuff is, is not, okay, I've spotted it. That is the thing. If we get rid of that, solve it all. Not a problem. We can do that. We can not buy anything else. That'll solve it. No, that's not what, it's an interrelated, interwoven web of things. That's what we were talking about. 
are we willing to address all injustice and will we cure injustice through additional injustice or will we try to tr uh, cure injustice through only addressing one injustice and leaving eight more unaddressed? The point is that they are all corrupting. When the nose of the camel gets under the tent, the camel's going in. So the point is, again, there's something behind even the ability most of the time to play the keep up with the Joneses game, that, that game specifically. There's something that precedes that, which is often and usually financial manipulation in the economy that creates credit to invite people to help the economy grow. This idea that if we're not moving forward, that we have to be sharks. If we're not swimming, the, the, the water isn't flowing over our gills and we can't get oxygen. This idea that we can't hang in one place. That we have to be growing. I had a great argument with my, with my financial advisor about that. And he's a Christian. But he has bought into this idea that the Federal Reserve needs to be targeting a 1% to 2% inflation rate so that the economy can grow. All that means is money is getting worth 1% to 2% less every year. And if, you, and if the government thinks they can control that, they got another thought coming. You can't pull all those levers and make them work. That's the whole point of the thing. God is in charge and we are not. That is legalism to think that we can do that stuff. That is looking for salvation by law. It's what it is. We got to stop for this morning. Anybody have any parting thoughts? We can, we'll We'll, we'll spend no more than two more weeks. I hope that what we can start doing is thinking about how it is, what it is that we can do explicitly, both in terms of loving and encouraging each other, teaching each other, all of that, and then what can we do in the community? that will express the glory of God. Not the glory of Forest Home Church. Not the glory of the people involved in a ministry. But what can we do that will express the glory of God? Deal? Thank you.